Our text this morning is found in Luke chapter 17. I will get to in just a little bit. Luke 17. I'd like to start with a story of a that a, well, a young mom shares. Young mom shared this story. She says, it was a usual schedule. Wake up at 4.30 a.m., out the door by 5 a.m. to take her son to hockey practice. Pick up another hockey team mate on the way to the rink, then dash home, get ready for work, and head out the door again. On this morning, though, she says, I realized that I had not done the grocery shopping. So at this point, I knew the grocery list by heart. So I drove the boys to hockey practice. I realized that I'd be very close to a grocery store that was open 24 hours a day. So it would be open this early in the morning. So I made a mental shopping list and headed straight into the grocery store from the ice rink. But there was only a few shoppers in the store, but the aisles were full of those staff stocking the shelves for the rush of the grocery shopping that would come up during that day. So I zipped along. The last aisle was the frozen food section. As I stood in front of the glass door, contemplating the frozen vegetables that I was going to pick out, I noticed the reflection of myself in the freezer door. I was still in my pajamas. I had to laugh out loud. As I drove home with my groceries, I realized that in my hurried, helter-skelter life, I was not living graciously. I was like the plate spinner at the circus, recognizing that something needs to change and then actually doing it can be a true challenge. I realized that I needed to make a change in my daily prayer practice. Instead of listing all the day's activities and then asking for help from God to accomplish them, I took a different approach. I began my prayer with gratitude that God was an ever-present, all power of good. And then I listened to him throughout the day. This change wasn't just a, a day or a week. It became my regular daily prayer routine. And life began less chaotic and more joyful. We know that there are researchers who have been focusing on the benefits and the beneficial effects of gratitude. One study cited in a Harvard Health newsletter found out that gratitude helps people connect to something larger than themselves as individuals. Another effect was fewer visits to the doctors. In September of 1923, we know that there was a devastating earthquake that rocked the islands of Japan. And I'm gonna mention that the title of this morning's lesson is The Transformative Power of Gratitude. The Transformative Power of Gratitude is our title this morning. Back in September of 1923, a devastating earthquake rocked the islands of Japan. Just in the city of Tokyo alone, it destroyed nearly 75% of the buildings. Greater disaster, this, they said that this, the New York Tribute, called this earthquake the undoubtedly the greatest disaster in recorded time up to that point. It was estimated that nearly 300,000 people died and 2.5 million were left homeless. Japan was so devastated by disease 
and by despair that it seemed that they would never recover. Then help came, help from the United States for this hapless Japan. Food, clothing, medical supplies, volunteers came by the shipload. The American Red Cross had collected $10 million from the citizens of the United States to help Japan, a lot of money back in 1923. And the Japanese people were grateful. They even put their gratitude into writing. Their very words were, Japan will never forget. 1923, the words Japan will never forget. Less than 19 years later, the American ships of mercy were forgotten. And on December 7, 1941, Japanese planes were sent to Pearl Harbor to wreak death and destruction. You ask the question, how could they forget? In our text today, Luke 17, I'd like to focus on 11 through 19. Very common verses, but I'd hopefully like to address it in a different way. And when you do this, when Tom and I talk, when we do the sermons, obviously, many people are, don't mean to mean, I'm 63, 67, sorry, and many people are older than me. You obviously know most of the scriptures. We have to take the verses that you already know and try to present a lesson and we try, hopefully try to give you a different angle on it. And that's what we're looking at this morning. We read of 10 lepers that Jesus healed. But I'd like you to bear with me and take the message, the angle I'm trying to come from this morning. He sent them to see the priest. And as they were on their way, they were cleaned. Now, undoubtedly, these men were grateful because Jesus had delivered them from a terrible fate. According to the Old Testament law, lepers were required to live outside of the city. They were literally quarantined. They were required to keep a safe distance from others so that they wouldn't touch anyone and make them unclean. Lepers were unclean, both physically and spiritually. A leper was required to keep a distance of six feet between others, including their family members. Sound familiar? Keep that distance of six feet. I don't think they had little circles on the floor saying, you know, stand here and then here and then here, but, but we know that they had to stay separated from each other. Not too long ago, we had to keep that distance. And many people are still keeping that practice today. We know Leviticus chapter 13 says, the person with such an infectious disease like leprosy must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the infection, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside of the camp in a small village nestled between rolling hills and meandering. <coughs> I'd like you to think about this today. Kind of picture this scenario. I'm going to give you this and just, just kind of picture this. You got a small village nestled rolling hills. There's meandering streams. There's 10 individuals whose lives were intertwined by a common affection, affliction, leprosy. They were banished to the outskirts of the village. They formed a close-knit community because they could find solace in each other. That's all they had. One day, as they sat together on the outskirts of the village, they heard whispers of a healer, somebody 
that had this miraculous power that might be able to heal them was going to pass through the town. There were rumors of this man named Jesus who, was, who has performed miracles that people talked about and proclaimed. He had a compassion of healing, and this reached their ears. Though society had rejected them, a glimmer of hope ignited in their heart. They were determined to find this healer. The 10 lepers set out on a journey. Their tattered clothes clung to their frail bodies. Their faces bore the scars of their illness. They were guided by the stories that they heard. And they traveled until they reached a dusty road where a crowd had gathered. Suddenly, through the murmurs of the people, they heard the name Jesus. Hope surged within them, and with feeble yet determined steps, they approached the crowd. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, they cried out in unison, their voices echoing with desperation. Hearing their plea, Jesus turned his gaze toward them. Go show yourselves to the priest, he instructed. And as they followed his command, a miraculous transformation began. The leprosy that had marred their bodies disappeared, leaving behind skin as smooth as a newborn's bottom. Overwhelmed with joy, the 10 lepers marveled at their newfound health. Yet among them, one man felt a deeper stirring inside his soul, an overwhelming gratitude that surpassed the joy of physical healing. Unable to contain his emotions, he turned back and he fell at the feet of Jesus. With tears streaming down his face, he exclaimed, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for restoring my health and granting me a new chance at life. I'm sure Jesus smiled warmly at the grateful man and said, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. And as the man sojourned his, with his fellow world, uh, lepers, he couldn't help but share the good news of his gratitude. The other nine, however, continued on their way, perhaps too caught up in the thrill of their healing to realize the source of their restoration. Jesus, watching the departing crowd, sighed with a mixture of compassion and a little sadness. The physical healing was evident, but the deeper healing, the deeper healing, the gratitude that transformed the soul was a gift received by only one who took the time to say thank you. And so the village echoed with the story of the 10 lepers being healed, but only one had the complete healing. His body and soul forever touched by the gratitude, by the, or sorry, by the grace of gratitude. Lepers, we know, were outcasts. They were totally ostracized. It was a devastating and definitely a lonely life. And then these people met Jesus. The 10 came to Jesus because they believed that he could heal them. I suspect that there was all kind of grateful, you'd think, as they were healed, but only one came back to thank Jesus personally. The other nine didn't show up. They didn't come back. They seemed to have forgotten all about Jesus. You'd ask the question, how could they forget? We ask the question, how could Japan forget? There are many things in our lives today that you say, how could we forget? If you ever forget your wife or husband's birthday, 
you ask that question. How could you forget our anniversary? <clears throat> Mild sense to these individuals. You think about the pain and the agony that they went through throughout their life. They're healed. How could they forget? Well, maybe they didn't forget. Maybe they just thought they, they had gotten well on their own. Isn't that what some people think today? You know, whether Jesus would have shown up or not, eventually I would have got healed. This was just the day that it happened. Maybe Jesus just showed up at the right time. It was just coincidence. We hear that a lot of time in our society today too, don't we? Oh, God will do something. I don't know about you, but there's times that I pray and I know there was a direct connection to my prayer and something that happened. And people say, when you pray to God, you need to expect that it will happen. Pray with confidence that it will happen. It may not be on our time frame, but when we pray, sometimes we're told no, but when we pray, God will listen. We're told that. That is why we pray. But some people think, oh, that was just coincidence. Just happened. I mean, after all, Jesus didn't really do anything to them when they stood before him, did he? He didn't perform a, a ceremony. He didn't touch them. He didn't do anything. Someone once suggested that one of the lepers may have been waiting to see if the cure was real. Okay, well, give reasons. We got to give reasons why these 10, oh, oh, nine, nine, why nine didn't. Well, maybe one of them thought, ah, he was just waiting to see if the cure was real. Okay, yeah, this is just it, but, but time will tell. I'm trying to use phrases that we hear in our society. Another believed he'd go back and see if Jesus later. Oh, no. I'll get around to it. I'm too busy right now. But I plan someday of going back and thanking Jesus for this. Still, another decided that he had never really had leprosy to begin with. Doctor didn't know what he's talking about. We have conspiracy theories all the time. You know, some people think that COVID never really existed. And I don't, if that's how you believe, I don't really want to touch on that. But I'm just saying, I knew a lot of good people that got sick, and some of them did not make it out of COVID. So you won't convince me that it was just a conspiracy that somebody came up with. And another said he would have gotten well anyway. And one might have told the, uh, given the glory for his healing to the priest. Oh, it was the priest, you know, and go to the priest. Another might have said any rabbi could have healed me. And so another might have thought I was already much improved. I was already on my road to recovery. Jesus just finished it off. You, we can give many reasons in our society today when we ask about Christianity and give Jesus the thank and credit. Know that God, in the beginning, God created. Know that God is in our lives. Many might ask us, well, why do you go to church services in the morning, Sundays? What is part of that? Thanking God for the blessings that we've had throughout the week. We come together. Why does God ask us to partake of the emblems on the first day of the week? To do so in remembrance of what Jesus had done. Thanking Jesus for giving his life up for us. Coming together in worship. That we thank God for being part of our life and at all he has done for us. 
and showing back our appreciation. Because we are told that God loves the salt. Whether, whatever voice we have and whatever singing we use, God, it talks about hearing the melody, the harmonious voices that we sing back to him. Because I'd like to ask you a question. For those people that I think we all desire to get to heaven, what do you think the day is going to be like in heaven? When we read in Revelation, what do we do? We worship God. It talks about people being around, singing praises unto God. That is what our day will be spent like. That's how I picture I don't know that we will be out golfing and, you know, people talk about when they get to heaven and playing baseball or whatever they're doing, fishing or whatever. I see that there's joy. There's no sorrow. That we're singing songs of praises to God. And that's what we are doing. So we have that joyful, all you see about is joyful, thankful heart, praising the one that's there. And the lamb, of course, is with him. So we think about that. Now, those are all interesting suggestions that we gave. But I really think that the issue here goes deeper than what I was saying. I think the real reason that they didn't go back to Jesus was that they were afraid. They were afraid that Jesus would ask them for a commitment. My thought, maybe he would ask them to follow him. <laughs> Jesus did that a lot, didn't he? Maybe they were afraid. I'm healed. Good, but now I can go live my life the way I want to. I don't need that commitment. In Matthew 8, we read that someone suggested that they wanted a closer relationship. In Matthew 8, verses 21 and 22, it says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. What does Jesus say? Let me first go and bury my father before I follow you. You know, Jesus is going out selecting his disciples. What does the man say? Jesus says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Later in Matthew 9, 9, we read that Jesus saw a man called Matthew. He's sitting at a tax booth and he says to him, follow me. And then in Matthew 10, Verses 32 through 39, Jesus told his 12 disciples, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whosoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father, knowing him. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, Jesus says. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whosoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whosoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whosoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whosoever finds his life will lose it. And whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What, does, what do we just keep seeing? Jesus keeps saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Unfortunately, there are many in life today you would ask, why would you not want to be a Christian? And just like the nine, they might be afraid of commitment. Today in life, try to just ask somebody, and I fall guilty of this too, just ask somebody, hey, um, on Wednesday, we're going to be doing this, and I'd like to, to ask you right now, um, will you be you know, ready Wednesday to help me? What's, how many people will say, um, I'm not sure I'll have to get back with you? 
We don't want to make a commitment. I'm guilty of that a lot of times too. Well, let me go home and ask my wife. Let me, uh, um, we, we talk about, we set out a family thing, you know, family page. What are we doing? The, 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 and my wife says, my wife's one of those ones, her and her family are just like, if they say 10 o'clock, she's there at quarter till, you know, it bugs them. And of course, for those people that know me, I'm not usually there at a quarter till. I may be there right on time. Why, why wait till you know, what if And then they, it just drives her nuts. And my point being on this, that we think about commitment. We need to make commitment to God and Jesus. We're talking about today in our Bible study class in the book of James about taking sin seriously. We're in the fourth chapter. And if you read near the middle to end of the fourth chapter, it talks about God, we draw closer unto God. And we don't take sin lightly, humorously. God hates that, that we need to look at and take sin seriously. And that is what we're looking at today. Making that commitment, follow me. Jesus was constantly calling people to commit to him and surrender to him and take up his cross and follow him. And essentially, that is what the 10th leper did. He says, I am following Jesus. He went back and fell down at the feet of Jesus. He knew where his source was coming from. That was the posture of surrender. But what were the, where were the other nine? We sing the song 68, count your many blessings. We sing 393, uh, precious memories of those that went on before us. We think of 222, faith of our fathers, holy faith. Yesterday, we are proud to say that Perry won their first ever state championship in football. I was really impressed with Coach Gessick, or Gesswich, Greg, well, Grekwich. Um, Coach Mindy will be able to tell you <laughs> after services, is it Grekwich, I think, but I, I always stumble on that. But Bob, Coach Bob, I did not work with, I worked with another Bob, Bob Ritley, whose grandson happens to be one of the main players on the team. And I grew up with that. I wore my old apparel, and I'm going to get into this community. It was fun to be at the game. This is the first game I was allowed to go to in person because my doctor said my heart didn't know if I could, my heart could take it. I'll tell you what, near the end of the game, I actually, sadly enough, I told my wife, I'm here for this reason. I almost had to get up and go somewhere just because, I mean, it was down to the last place of the game to know who the winner was going to be. And I told my wife, I don't know if my heart can take this. But anyhow, being part of that, I'm up with the players that I coached whose sons are out on the field and to see their pride, to see their tears coming down their face. But Coach Bob, new Bob G, I'm going to call him, I was totally impressed with what he said after the game. I mean, here is a man who is at the peak of his coaching career, 16 and all. Perry was undefeated. I was one of the, I mean, we've gone, but I, we've never gone 16 and all. State champions. They asked him. He didn't talk about himself. They asked him to make comments about the game. He said, first thing he said, I'm not going to comment about the game. He said, the first thing I want you to know is when I look up in the crowd, I see names of people that have gone before. He thinks of the people that have played this game for Perry. He says, I think of community. I think of individuals. 
And he looked at both teams. Both teams are out there crying. Perry's crying because of the win. The other team's crying. He says, they're not crying because of win and loss. They're crying, crying because they gave everything that they had on the field for their communities, for where they came from, for what everybody entrusted in them. And he says, that is what these tears are out here for. He says, unless you know what that means. And he talked about our players and the community. Everything was for the community. If you could have seen the community, we had parades. We had parades. We had fireworks going off before we even got back, from what I understand. We had buses going down to the game. Um, you know, we had the community lined up. The, the fire trucks, everything looked like a big parade, leaving Perry on the way out for the game. On their way home, everybody went on Facebook and started to find out when the kids were going to come back. They got trucks, buses, everything, you know, flashing lights. And, you know, so it was chaos. I would say from about, you know, happy chaos from about 810 last night to about 840, you know, coming into town, all the things you have to wonder what was going on at Perry Fire Trucks, you know, everything leading the parade. But the pride, the pride of family, the pride of individuals. He said the pride of those who paved the way before them. And a special acknowledgement to the one who gave them the ability to play the game of football. I'm sure that was the prayer of each one of them. That is something that we used to pray for with Coach Ritley. The first thing, you know, we, Perry, I don't know if they still, but we always said a prayer right before we went out on the field. The reason I say it's kind of questionable, I, I know that the coaches have to do that almost in secret. Because if you hear community members, I know Kirtland was one of them that would pray at where and then they, they had to fight community. So there's only take a few that question you know, the kids doing that. But a lot of coaches still do that. I want you to know, um, you know, whether it be, you know, you just don't hear about it because they, uh, the way our society is, they can't publicize it, but they keep it solid and, and that type of thing. And we pray for the ability to do that. I bring that up because look at our church community. What do we do? Jesus said in the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Let your light so shine before men. <laughs> that they could see your good works, glorify your Father which is in heaven, that you would be a light to a community. We think about the community here. We as Christians try to be thankful for what God has given us, that while we were yet sinners, he gave his son that we could have a chance for eternal life. We think about it. We go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. The wisest man, Solomon, he thinks back on life. You ever do that? You think back and you contemplate life and you think back where you're at in your life. What did he say? What was the entire purpose of man? To serve God and keep his commandments. And so he says, when I look back and reflect on my entire life, the whole duty of man, well, women, society, Serve God and keep his commandments. That is where we're at. And that is what I'm taking, I'm putting words in Bob's mouth now, but that's kind of what he was representing. Last night in a physical sense to a community, but that's what we're doing as Christianity. We look at what is our duty. God is our creator. God has the power. Jesus had the power to heal. God gives us the power today to be saved, to have that promise of eternal life that we all strive for. 
that we would come back to him with a thankful heart. Not one that says, oh, that was expected of me. That we come back with a thankful heart. And of the 10, one came back with that thankful heart. May we be the one that comes back to God, that comes back to our community here, our Christian family, to be the one that encourages, that strives to go forward, to encourage others to come back and thank God. May we be those ones. And as my mom is the one always tells me, she loves 397, her favorite song, that precious memories of those that, you know, the sermons that went before us. Faith of our father in 222, those that paved the way before us. You think, is there a connection between the Bible and us? Definitely. When these writers that we study about are writing, they're writing to the churches then, which then implies it all goes to us today. When Paul was writing to the churches there and, and uh, James and so on, they're encouraging the churches, but they're also encouraging us today in our society. So did you think Jesus would think that the nine were coming back? No, we know that Jesus knew. Jesus knew ahead of time that only one was going to come back. The good works that he did. I'd like to, to move forward. For those that follow on the script, I'm doing this for the people on Zoom or on our Facebook page when it's posted. You'll see that I got completely off of my script. I am now jumping the middle and going to the end of my script. Uh, but you'd ask why, why would Jesus do this? And Jesus, we know, has the intent of that all would be saved. God has the intent that all would be saved, but that doesn't mean that's the case. We have to be found faithful to what God has said. So we look at that. Um, there it is. I was going to say I lost my part where I wanted to come in. All right, so I'd like to close with this. We're not told, but I'm convinced that everywhere the tenth leper, he went around to tell people about what Jesus had done. He told everyone that he came in contact with about Jesus. A veteran missionary once told the story about being a medical missionary for years in India. He had served in a region where people were often born with healthy vision. But over time, many of them began to lose their sight, and eventually many became blind. Well, this missionary had discovered a process that would slow down and even stop that progressive blindness. And when people came to him and he performed his operation, and that they would leave realizing that they would no longer become blind, but now they were going to see for hopefully the rest of their lives, they were so thankful. The missionary says they couldn't say thank you because it wasn't a phrase that they had in their dialect, in their language. Instead, they spoke a word that meant, I will tell your name. And everywhere they went, they told the name of this missionary because they were so thankful. The question this morning is this, are you truly thankful to Jesus for what he has done for you? And if you are, do you tell his name to Jesus, uh, to others? 
Do you proclaim the name of Jesus? Jesus said in Mark and Matthew at the end of those books in the gospel, go ye therefore unto all nations, go out, teach these things that you have observed. Proclaim my name. Let your name ring out. 282, ring out the message, true and glad. To the sinful and the sad, ring out. The lesson is yours this morning. If there's anyone that is in need, we pray that you would have that thankful heart that Jesus gives us. We pray that you would take the time to thank God daily, to thank Jesus daily for what they have given in our lives and that we would have that home with them. But if you have that need to be baptized or the need of the prayers of the congregation, you have that opportunity to come forward and make it right as together we stand and sing our song of invitation. Bearing with me. And, um, and again, I encourage you to be able to look at um, our, um, on Facebook uh, or on our actual Church of Christ webpage. We do have uh, churchofchrist.org. We do have the sermons posted, bulletins, um, different references and so on. I'd encourage you to use those if needed. 656, blessed be the time. <laughs>